It's time for Sports Wrap on 760 WJR. All right, this is the wrap on 760 WJR. To a car phone we go. Dave, thanks for hanging on. You're on 760. Gentlemen, and Stephen Dan, you got the chemistry. It's cooking. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Are you calling us from your office? I'm doing Sports Center tonight. With, Are you uh, really? Dan Patrick. Well, yes. I'm very impressed. By the way, give Dan our best. He's a good man. And, I will. Uh, hey, uh, hey, Dan. Chuck Swirsky says hi. This is the best sports rap has ever been, in my opinion. Now, here's your host, Chris Renwick. Wow. What a what a, a, a night of college basketball that was. Um, I, I'll start with the Nova Jayhawks game, but my goodness, if there ever was a game that was hyped, if there ever was a game that had so much around it that lived up to the hype, it was that Duke uh, Tar Heel game last night. That was an instant classic. And and my goodness, you got to give it up for Caleb Love. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. I'm getting ahead of myself. I mean, that kid has just got ice in his veins. Um, But... This Villanova-Kansas game, I have been, look, first of all, I'll be I'll be very honest with you. My bracket is just, I mean, it looks, it, 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 it doesn't even look like a bracket. <laughs> like, I have taken the approach with somebody like Kansas, with a school like Kansas, where you got to show me. You got to show me that you can do it. Because it seems like, Year after year after year, these Bill Self teams um, just implode. And, and, and they do not make the run that we expect Kansas to make. So, yeah, I picked against Kansas. I did. And, and I look, I thought Villanova, with a compliment of Justin Moore, with, with Colin Gillespie, I thought that was going to be enough. And look, Justin Moore didn't end up playing. And Villanova got down early. They got down early. And you're thinking, well, geez, if Justin Moore is in this game, the offense adds another dimension. Defensively, he can rotate with, with the Jayhawks. It wasn't there. And it and it was that start. They were down by, what, 19 at one point? To start that game? I mean, you just... That is a hole that you just can't expect to climb out of. And I and, and I I give the cats some credit because they made that thing a game late late in the game. But I mean, you you've got an effort where Kansas hit 13 to 24 three-pointers. I mean, that is it's as good as it gets. It's as good as I mean, it's as I mean, it's as good as you can expect. Um, meanwhile, Villanova made the same amount of threes, but they had seven more shots. And, and at the end of the day, they just, they couldn't get it done. Um, I I think that this Kansas team's got something. And again, I have been in a pattern with Kansas, this whole tournament. Show me until you show me, I'm not buying in. And I think it's fair to say that this Kansas team is not like the Bill Self teams of pass. They're not. They they have got an outside game. You know, you, you pair that with 
with David McCormick inside, that is a recipe that I think it will be really fun to watch against North Carolina. So uh, you got to give it up to, to the Jayhawks. I thought they did a really nice job. Um, and certainly that, er- that, that early lead, that 19-point lead to start the game was just absolutely huge. Villanova couldn't hit a shot, and, and Kansas couldn't miss. So, yeah, you, 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 I mean, look, Kansas being there makes a lot of sense now that you see it. Now you see the resume in totality in this tournament. You get it. I get it, at least. Now, this North Carolina Duke game, look, all the Coach K stuff is its own. I mean, think of this as like a movie trilogy. Like, you've got the the Coach K retirement thing. The whole, uh, you know, goodbye tour and, and, and then making the tournament and then making a deep push into the final four. That is one whole storyline in and of itself. And then I think last night, this one game, like this is this is the 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 last part of the trilogy. Like this was this game was incredible. Incredible. North Carolina wins at 81 to 77. Coach K now officially done. And it, it it was, it seemed a little fitting that a guy who his first loss as the head coach of Duke was to the care, the North Carolina. His last loss was to North Carolina. Look, a, a guy that didn't need this game to cement his legacy didn't need a, didn't need this game to, to 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 cast any doubt over what he's done over his nearly 50 year career of coaching the Duke Blue Devils. And look, I get a lot of people don't like Coach K. He's got that smarmy look. Uh they win. They get all the players. I like I get it. I get it. But to see what this guy has done is really incredible. Just absolutely incredible. Now for the game itself. I think that that this was one of those games where everybody showed up. There was nobody that 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 loafed it. There was nobody that that had kind of an off night. Everybody seemed to be on. And and you've got a guy truly in Paolo Benchero who is depending on how the rest of this NBA season shakes out for the Pistons, they, there is a real opportunity here that this guy could be in Detroit next year. Led the team last night in points, 20 points. Um, look, kids legit. There are times when you watch him and you go, well, that's a, why would you make that decision? Why would you cut it when you could give it? Why, you know, there are those things. He's a freshman. But you can see the athleticism is just through the roof. And then for 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 the Tar Heels, Armando Baycott was marvelous. Marvelous. And down the stretch, when he went out with that sprained ankle, 
with like what four, five, six minutes to go. Um, and I don't, I if if I remember right, I don't believe Duke scored in that stretch. He went, he went to the to the bench, got some attention, jogged back to the locker room, jogged back from the locker room, and then checked back in. And I don't believe Duke scored in that time frame. 11 points, 21 boards. That was a, a really impressive output by the ACC Player of the Year. I just thought it was wonderful. And, and I, I think it was, it was I, I'm, I'm, look, we love our rivalries, right? Like Michigan, Michigan State. That is a top three, in my mind, rivalry in college basketball. But if you want big-time drama on the big stage, I want to see Duke, North Carolina for a matchup and a rivalry that has never been featured in the tournament, ever. It was the first time last night these two teams played in the NCAA tournament. Just, and it was an instant, instant uh, classic. And then, of course, um, Caleb Love with that just clutch three-pointer with like 20 seconds left was, I mean, that is a dagger of all daggers. And to have the cojones to take that shot, I mean, come on. Come on! Just just incredible. Um, we'll, we'll preview this matchup a little later on. You've got Kansas, you've got North Carolina. We'll talk about that uh, coming up later on in the show. But coming up next, look, huge news this week particularly around the Detroit Lions. Yes, the Lions will be featured in Hard Knocks, but even more exciting, we've got the NFL Draft coming to Detroit. We'll talk about it next. Now back to more Sports Wrap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Redwick. Oh, it's very exciting here in Detroit. Obviously, Getting the Lions on hard knocks, I know that I read a quote that said Rod Wood, the president of the team, wasn't really excited about it, but they're going to embrace it, and, and it's going to be great. I agree. I think this is going to be really good for the for the organization. But even better for the city is going to be hosting the NFL draft in 2024. And I think that this is really indicative of a couple of things. Number one, you have to credit the city and a lot of the big players in the city for their level of commitment in bringing this thing back, taking this thing to a level in which we haven't seen in a very long time. Unfortunately, the pandemic came and stymied some of it, but you're talking about a brand new facility down uh, at little Caesars arena, everything that's happened uh, in Corktown, obviously, with Ford and the train station. And now you're dealing with an updated Campus Martius, Hart Plaza. I mean, the, the, the things that have happened here are important. Plus an influx of restaurants, an influx of hotels, all kind of lay the foundation to landing big-time events like the NFL Draft. And uh, it was, what, in 2014, the NFL decided to take it out of out of Radio City in New York City and then take it on the road. A couple of years in Chicago, Nashville, Cleveland. Uh, it'll be in Las Vegas this year. Um, and now Detroit will get it in 2024. And one of the folks that had a huge hand in this 
is Mark Hollis. He's the chair of the Detroit Sports Organizing Corps. They uh, work really closely with the Detroit Sports Commission. Obviously, his work as vice president of business development for Rock Ventures. Uh, Mark, great to talk with you. I, I kind of want to start from the beginning here because we know what the economic impacts of this going to be. It's going to be huge. But how did this kind of start? Where did these dis- discussions begin in terms of trying to bring this thing to Detroit? Well, Chris, thanks for having me, first of all, and, and good afternoon. You, you laid it out pretty good. It's, it's about as good as I've, I've heard it laid out on what's happening, why it's happening, and, and kind of filling in some of the details. But the Detroit Sports Commission, their primary role is to, to attract and bring large-scale events um, from from amateur events all the way through, you know, major ones like what we're dealing with here with the NFL draft. And the purpose behind it is, is frankly, to, to bring economic value, to bring eyeballs to Detroit, to, to elevate Detroit's businesses, hotels, restaurants uh, across the marketplace and be a, a great attraction for people who live, work, and play in Detroit and the surrounding area. So that, that's what was in the background of, of what we were trying to accomplish. Um, achieving something like uh, the uh, the NFL uh, draft is something that took a lot of people from a lot of different areas, cooperating, collaborating. You, you mentioned that in the open, but from the folks at the Detroit Sports Commission where they have full-time jobs like Claude Molinari, Dave Beach now, Marty Dobeck, the Lions with, with Rod, Rod Wood and Kelly Cazell and Brad Michaels, Emily Griffin, and, and then you look at the city with, with Akeem Berry and Mayor Dugan and Eric Larson with DDP, Dave Cowan over there. All these folks have been working for months and years to position Detroit for this type of event and others that may follow in the future. Now, I want to remind you, uh, the, the, the last time Detroit hosted some really big-time events, I'm talking big events, 2006 for the Super Bowl and then 2009 for the Final Four. And obviously you were very aware of that season. That was a nice season for the Spartans. And um, this is a complete, we're in a completely different environment now. I mean, back then they were basically covering up blighted areas to try to make it seem not as well run down and dilapidated. That is not the situation that we find ourselves in today. We are in a much better position to, to host an event like this. And, and now I think now, now that it's official, and it's public, um, the the focus must shift, at least from probably from your perspective, on now the, the nuts and bolts, now in the planning process and, and making sure uh, by the time 2024 rolls around, this is going to be this is going to be running uh, at, a, at a peak level because, heck, back in 2019 in Nashville, there were some 600,000 people that showed up over a three day span. So we could be inundated with a huge amount of people. Right, and you hit it perfectly. It was like, you know, a high level of excitement that the draft, that the NFL made a choice, picked Detroit, and now the real work begins, right? It's it's securing the funding, it's making sure the logistics, making sure safety, making sure the, the disruption of, of the city for residents and, and workplaces are kept at a minimum. All those things have been very well thought through, but now it's going through and implementing them. I'm glad you brought up, you know, the, the events of the past, the uh, the, the Super Bowl, the Final Four, All-Star, World Series, the basketball, those were all things that were positioned during very good times. And along with how the city's changed, went into decline, it's back. People love to see it, and they're making choices to come here. The events have changed. 
And that's the one thing that we have to take into consideration is when we were going to Final Fours back in the day, teams were staying in suburban areas. The downtown was kind of limited to just what's going on around the game. So today, the events want to be a part of it. We just saw that in Cleveland with All-Star Weekend. It's the energy that's down there. The teams want to be downtown. You're going to see that with the draft. The inductees are going to enjoy downtown Detroit. The networks are. The fans that come in and are part of it are going to enjoy being down here in hotels, eating in restaurants, and really thriving in in what this great city has to offer. And whether it was uh, Roger Goodell or officials with the NFL, um, the the you know, back in 2006 when the Super Bowl was here, I thought Detroit showed itself nicely, right? Like about as good as you could do at the time. Um, but but now I think the, the the optics are totally different. And so I guess my question is, what was the reaction when you throw Detroit into the hat and say, look, we're serious. We want to host one of these events. We think we can do a nice job for you. Um, what is their reaction? What did you hear from them? From the league? Yes. Or from, from local, from the league, it yeah. was, it was ecstatic. They came in and they looked at a variety of different sites. Um, they walked the streets. It was very similar to the reaction we had from the NSA men's basketball committee. It was, I, I had no idea. This is amazing. Uh, there are so many opportunities for us. And where, where Dan Gilbert really made an impact with commissioner Goodell was his statement about what having a draft in Detroit could mean for the city. And he fought for it. He, he put it out there right in front of him, and, and the commissioner heard that. It's, it's like you can go to other cities, but you can't make a bigger difference than you can by bringing the draft to Detroit, and mm. that is genuine, and that is true. Mm. Um, I think, the, I think a, a lot of kudos has to go uh, to, to you and your group, the Detroit Sports Organizing Corporation, um, because uh, once again, uh, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that needs to be done to try to, to to woo a league like the NFL or an event like the draft to get them here. So I think you guys deserve a lot of credit. But at the same time, this is not something new for you. You have a huge hand in in the Rocket Mortgage Classic uh, out at DGC. And so um, do, the, do they look at other events that have been around here? DGC and, and Rocket Mortgage Classic is a prime example uh, of not only the success of the event, but then the popularity of the events, too. Yeah, I think so. And I, you know, what they looked at is the the events that go on every year, the great work that the Grand Prix is doing and bringing that downtown. Another great one. It's even going to be better. It, yeah. It's like it's going to have more energy. The Rocket Mortgage Classic, having NCA first, second rounds mm-hmm. and regionals and seeing the success there, those absolutely played a role. I think what they saw from Detroit that maybe they hadn't seen in the past is the realization that nobody can do it alone. So when you look at our community right now and you look at state, city, county, everybody's aligned. When you look at companies that are are positioned downtown, that have team members downtown, like Rocket, like DTE, like Blue Cross Blue Shield, like the big three, they saw that that connection coming together. And that's what it's going to take even stronger as we approach 24, all those groups working together, supporting each other, and making sure that we deliver the best Detroit possible. I got 20 seconds. Does this lay the groundwork for other big events in the future? Do you think that we have, thanks to you and, and others, do you think that this positions us for, for other big-time events in the future? I'll give you three seconds. Absolutely, it does. Boom. Mark Hollis, good to talk with you, man. Thank you. Well done. Appreciate it, Chris. Thank you. 
All right. Uh, coming up next. Uh, look, first of all, I got to say, let me just say this also about hard knocks. I think the hard knocks perspective here is going to help this organization. I know teams don't like it, but I'm going to tell you what. I think that the, the word has spread around the league that this organization is doing something right with this coaching staff. Players want to play for a guy like Dan Campbell. And so I think that highlighting this, giving players a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in Detroit, I actually think will help this organization going forward. Tiger baseball is this week, opening day Friday. We're going to talk about it next right here on Sports Wrap. Now back to more Sports Wrap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, so opening day is Friday. And this, it feels like, was a long time coming. It felt like we were, we, we really had to go through the ringer to get to this point. And, and the, all of the, the CBA stuff is now behind us. And now we're dealing with baseball uh, down the road. So um, where are the Tigers at in this process? I mean, look, this team has made moves in the offseason, whether it was acquiring somebody like Javi Baez or bringing up some of these young guys like Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson. And and I think there is a lot of optimism amongst fans for this team that, that they're building something at least that's going to be competitive in this division. Uh, Jason Beck is on the Tiger Beat for MLB.com. He joins us this evening on Sports Wrap. Uh, Jace, nice to have you with us. Um, first, let's start with Riley Green. Um, yesterday uh, had a, a just a wonderful diving catch in the outfield for an out, and then just not too long after that, takes a foul ball off the foot and fractures his foot. What is his status going into Friday? Well, uh, he is not going to be ready for the season. So you're, you're looking at probably a six to eight week absence, you know, and that's just returning action. He's probably going to need a, a rehab assignment of, of some sort to get back up to speed. So really it's, you're, you're looking at the end of May, early June, I, I think before you can start looking for, you know, Riley Green to, to debut, I, I think in Detroit. And, and that depends probably in part two on, on how the Tigers outfield looks at that time. So it's uh, it puts a delay on things. Well, I I I, I kind of thought watching his spring training where he is physically, mentally, it, it just felt like he was ready to go. Now, I don't know that we had gotten any indication that he had in fact made the opening day roster. Um but but there's no doubt that he belongs in the bigs now. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. You know, they they're not they won't say officially that he had made the opening day roster, but you know, Al Avila said uh, yesterday that all signs are pointing in that direction. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, since he's not on the major league roster at this point, he's not even on the forty man. You know, they can send him to the minor leagues and put him on the minor league injured list. You know, which you know avoids the the service time question there, but mm-hmm. you know. For all intents and purposes, he was in the big leagues. You know, he really, he and Torkelson fit in so well in this clubhouse, both both on the field, off the field. They look like major leaguers, and everybody knew it. And, you know, the expectation was that 
come Friday that you would see both of those guys making their major league debuts. Uh, I absolutely love the piece that you wrote on MLB.com about Miggy passing that first glove, that, that first base glove uh, to, to torque in an emotional gesture. It, it was a, so Spencer Torkelson, Tigers, number one prospect, number four prospect in all of baseball, has officially made the opening day roster. He will be the starting first baseman for the Detroit Tigers. And uh, talk to us a little bit about the the story that uh, that A.J. Hinch and Miguel Cabrera and, and Al Avila uh, kind of put together to, to tell Torkelson that he made the roster. So, yeah, you know, they had some fun with it. So basically what they did was, you know, they brought Torque into uh, Hinge's office. Alvila was there. Miguel Cabrera was also there. And so they brought up a couple of plays that they could critique him on and suggest things he could do better. One of them was uh, you know, a, a play with the shift on, uh, I believe it was on Friday, or it might have been Thursday it, um, in uh, Clearwater. And another play was where, ironically, he collided with Javier Baez in a rare first baseman shortstop collision, trying to chase a uh, a pop fly uh, that was being affected by the wind, also in clear water. And uh, you know, Miggy was playing along, saying, "Hey, here's how a veteran first you know, first baseman handles this. You know, this is stuff you need to learn." And then AJ jokes, "So are you gonna?" So you promise not to run into any more infielders here. And Torx says, yeah. And says, okay, because he made the team. And <laughs> at that point, he gets emotional. Everybody gets emotional. You know, talking with uh, Cabrera about it this morning, you know, even he said it, it was emotional to watch. You know, he still remembers when he first got the call. So it was cool for him to be a part of that. And I think he played along. And really, he's, he's tried to support these kids Um you know, this whole time, uh, not that they need a ton of support, but he's one his support saying, you know, he's willing to DH full time. If that opens up first base for torque and, and kind of being, you know, being that veteran mentor, uh, not simply out of goodness of his heart, because, but because he truly believes that those two guys being up in the majors makes their team better and gives him a better chance to be part of a winning team. Yeah. We, we know that Miggy loves baseball. Um, we've seen it time and time again on the diamond, just, just the, the type of player he is. He'll joke with other uh, players and, and, you know, give a little grief to, to guys on other teams. Um, but he loves the game of baseball and, and he had been resistant in years past to, to going to making that full-time DH move. I think he wanted to play in the field. He wanted to remain a, a significant part of what they were doing, whether it was offensively or defensively. Um, so what does it, I guess, tell you the fact that not only Miggy is willing to relinquish his defensive spot at first base, but the way that he's going about it? It, it says a lot about what he thinks of, of Torkelson and the impact he can have on this team. I mean, make no mistake, Miggy loves playing first base. He's still doing it uh, every so often here in camp, and I would expect that he still gets a game here and there at first base just to, you know, keep him fresh and, you know, maybe give a torque a, a day off here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he, he watches the way Torgelson goes about his business. He watches him as a hitter. And, you know, he said today that, 
he feels like Torkelson not only can play in the major leagues, he said he believes that Torque has a chance to be the man in Detroit, his words. Mm. So you know, that says a ton when you have, you know, arguably one of if not the greatest hitter of, of his generation saying that about a guy who is yet to play in a big league game. That says wonders. And I, you know, Torkelson was saying that, you know, hearing Miggy boost him like that has meant a ton more than, than Miggy probably realized. But, you know, again, for, you know, talking with Cabrera, he says, you know, he doesn't say it just to pump him up. He says it because he believes it. Um, so, so as we now look forward towards to Friday, um, obviously the big signing in the off season was Javi Baez. Uh, Tucker Barnhart was, I, I think kind of an underrated signing. I think he's going to bring a lot of veteran experience, but, but, but at the same time, um, somebody who can call a really good baseball game. And, and um, I think those two signings are, are really important. And, and then you bring in somebody like Eduardo Rodriguez to, to, to put in that rotation with Casey Mize and Tara school, Matt Manning, obviously um, in, in the mix as well. Where do you think the strengths of this team are? And, and where do you think the weaknesses are as we head into to Friday? I think the strength of this team right now, um, you know, oddly enough, I, I think it's the lineup. Um, you know, when you look up and down, yeah, you know, is there an MVP guy in there? Probably not at this point. You'd like to think maybe the torque can, can get to that level in his career. But right now, you know, when you look up and down, there's a lot of good, solid hitters in here. And when you try to formulate a batting order, there's not that automatic guy that, that you say, oh, here, here's a guy you can bury in the ninth spot and try not to expose. Yeah, Tucker Barnhart's not a big offensive impact hitter, but he's a veteran guy who knows what he's doing at the plate, and he's a switch hitter at this point. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of balance there where you can see the bomb of this order producing runs at a rate that you know this team hasn't had in a while, probably since the days when you know, in the middle of the last decade, you know, when you had Omar Infante batting ninth and, and, you know, you had other guys like, you know, Andy Dirks or, you know, guys who were, mm-hmm. who were still productive hitters, but not stars that, that you could put down there. I think that's where your strength is. I think the, the weakness right now is probably the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gregory Soto is back and I, I think he has a chance to be an all-star closer again. But when you look at, you know, the injury to Andrew Chafin, who's probably going to miss a little bit of time to start this season. I think the injury to Kyle Funkhauser with the strain lap, uh, probably keeping him out for the better part of a month, it has a bigger impact than people realize. But also we, we've seen Michael Fulmer get off to a slow start here. He's trying to ramp up. Uh, you've seen his Jose Cisnero the same way. And you're looking for depth, and they're struggling to find it right now because – you know, this is probably a team that's going to open the season with at least nine relievers, probably 10 to help cover the innings and avoid having to stretch out the starters too quickly. Uh, even though Rodriguez and Mize arguably are stretch on ready to go right now. But I, I think with that short and spring training, they're going to need some more innings out of that bullpen. And it's hard to come up with a 10 man group to where you feel comfortable with all these guys right now. 
Uh, Jason, always good stuff. I look forward very much to talking talking with you as we enter baseball season. I mean, I was I was a little worried that we that we weren't going to get to this point, but I'm very very excited that we are. So I look forward to our many conversations going forward. Jason Beck, always good to talk with you, my man. Thank you. Absolutely, thanks, Chris. Great to talk ball with you again. Uh, all right, uh, coming up next, I- I've got some. Oh, look, we'll preview the national championship game tomorrow. March Madness, the whole deal. But I think we need to talk about the Detroit Red Wings because something is wrong. And I think that Steve Eiserman has a very important decision to make this offseason. I'll tell you what that decision could be next as we continue on Sports Wrap this evening on WJR. Chris Renwick in. Don't go anywhere. More to come. Now back to more Sports Wrap, presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. Uh, we've had just some wacky weather also. And and when, when, when you're talking about opening day in Detroit, you just expect something nasty to swing through. Uh, Jason, you uh, uh, well, let's go to our forecaster, Jason. Uh, who's got some, uh, Jason, what, yeah. what's the radar telling you the, for opening day Friday? Currently, uh, Sunday, as it is now, 6, almost 7 p.m., forecast on Friday calls for 48 degrees with a 70% chance of showers. Now, two, three days ago, it was 40 degrees with a wintry mix, so I guess it's getting better, and by Friday, it could be 70. You never know. I'm going to I'm gonna make a bold claim here, and and – Heaven help us if this uh, prediction is anything like my NCAA bracket. Um, I'm going to say that we're not going to get any precipitation Friday. None. I think everybody's going to be dry out of Comerica Park. I hope so. Remember last year, Miggy's home run into the snowflakes. Into the blizzard. Into the blizzard, yeah. Into an absolute (laughs) blizzard. That was wild, actually. (laughs) Um, I uh, I knew somebody at that game who was in the vicinity of where that that ball was coming in, and he was like, honestly, it was a little scary. Like you you could see the 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 section react because they knew it was coming towards them, and he's like, we couldn't see it at all. Right. He was like, I had no idea if it was going to hit me in the head. I had no idea because you couldn't see a darn thing. All right. So yeah, it was that was that was a, a pretty cool moment to opening day last year. Um, all right, before we get into to the, the college basketball stuff, um something is going on at L- LCA. I don't know what it is, but the the wheels have really fallen off this this Red Wings team. I I don't know what has transpired i don't know what has gone wrong um because this thing was i mean in a much different place even a few weeks ago um so i I, look i don't know what's happening here um they've lost what one, two, three, four, six, six in a row, five, six in a row. 
in the six that they've lost, they lost five to two to the Islanders. They lost two to one to the Lightning in overtime. Then they got shellacked against Pittsburgh, 11 to two. It's the most goals anybody's ever given up uh, in the salary cap era in the NHL. Uh, lost to the Rangers in overtime. And then uh, Friday lost to the Senators five to two. Uh, and then today to the Senators five to two. Um, I, I don't know. And then of course you've got the situation the other night where Red Wings fans were chanting fire Blashel at the game. Um, after they lost to the Senators. I'm not sure as much as I actually think Jeff Blaschel is a good NHL coach. I actually think he's a good hockey coach. Um, I don't know that that now is the time to continue with Jeff Blaschel in Detroit. They are in such a funk right now. And there's been these rumors that there's been some sort of, you know, uh, uh, I don't know what it is. Some sort of rift between the younger players on this team and Jeff Blaschel. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm just not, I'm just not sure that he's the guy anymore. And, and I, I'm, I'm particularly dismayed by how these last few games have gone. Like I thought maybe they would be, in a much different position at this point in the season. And, and the wheels really have fallen off. So as much as I like Jeff Blaschel, as much as I think he's a good hockey coach, um, you know, he got this team through some really lean years. Um, and I think he should at least be commended for that because I mean, this was the worst period since what the dead wings. So, you know, to, to have to endure that while trying to remain competitive and fielding a competitive team and, and motivating a lot of these young players, I think he did a, a, a pretty good job at that. Um, But it, it feels like this can't go on anymore. Is that fair, Jason? Like, I, I'm not trying to, to call for Jeff Blaschel's head. I'm, not, I'm trying to be really as fair as I can to, to Blash. I think he's a good hockey coach. I just don't know that they can continue this anymore. No, I, I think for them to get to the next step, it's it's finally they need to finally make that change. Now, is Jeff Blaschel, Jeff Blaschel came from the farm system, I believe. Was that correct? Correct. He was the he was the head it, coach uh, of the Griffins. For yeah, maybe he's just better suited in a role like that. I don't know. I actually think Blaschel. I, again, I think Blaschel a good hockey coach. I I, I very much think that if it would probably take a couple of years now. Um, but I think he'll very, I think he could absolutely end up in the NHL again. Absolutely. Um, I, I just think, I, I just don't know. Just not the right timing here. Maybe. No. And, and yeah. again, he took, he took them through a really lean stretch. Um, and, and, in hockey, look, these guys, uh, there is a bit of a shelf life and, and sometimes it's, it's a lot longer than in other leagues, but, but after, I mean, he's been here, what, eight years, something like that. Um, you, you gotta, I think at some point you, you gotta make a change. And, and I think now might be the, the opportunity. Remember 
Steve Eiserman hired John Cooper to be the head coach of the Lightning, and look what happened there. So, I, I, I again, I put all of my faith in Steve Eiserman, all of it, in in Steve Eiserman's hands. I just think he knows what he's doing. If he feels it's best to keep Jeff Blaschel, then I, I'm on board. Um, but if he thinks it's time to make a change, I feel like I'm confident he'll pick the right guy. So I'll just leave it at that. I felt like it, it's important to mention the Red Wings because they are on a, a rough patch. They're on a rough stretch here, and they got to find their way out. And and unfortunately, um, Jeff Blaschel is going to take the brunt of it here just like he did the other night at LCA. And and I, my guess is there will be changes coming at the end of the season. Um, all right. Basketball uh, finals, Kansas, North Carolina. Jace, what are your thoughts? Well, my bracket actually, I my bracket has one team left, and that's Kansas. Unfortunately, on the other side, it was Gonzaga beating them, so that's a, that didn't work. But okay. but I do see Kansas beating North Carolina. I'm going to go eighty to seventy two. Too much, uh, too much for Kansas. Has a good inside outside game, like you said mm-hmm. earlier. I think they'll win this one. I gotta be honest. I, I just th- this Carolina team feels like like they're supposed to win it. Um, I don't know. I I I feel like Caleb Love is on some other planet right now. Um, and and Baycott playing the way he is. Look, I've been really wrong most of this turn. Most of this I tournament. Think a lot of us have. <laughs> Um, but give me the Tar Heels in a nail biter, seventy nine, seventy eight. Mm, is right. Sounds good to me. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And and I, I was listening to to Charles Barkley last night. I got to say, when he said you got to get to one of these things, you got to get to a Final Four because it is an incredible atmosphere. I thought he was so on the money last night. That place with that game. And those teams and those circumstances and the storyline surrounding it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's it for tonight. We'll see you next weekend.